0: He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner
1: bag and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud?
2: Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. i once again be your host. I'm here with the rest of these Munsons. I want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. Rigby, we'll start with you this week.
0: Uh, yeah, not much going on in my, in my world. Just happy to be talking to Maya Rudolph tonight with you gentlemen. Uh, happy we have a new administration in town. Finally able to wake up in the morning and not have a seven AM panic attack, so that's nice. Feels pretty good.
1: Case. Same as Rigby. Excited to uh hang out with you guys tonight and talk some movies and we're actually probably going to talk about the most socially relevant months is at the movie alumni with her ability to play Kamala Harris. So excited to get into that a little bit.
2: <laughs> Very timely yeah.
1: given everything going on
2: in
3: the world right now. Warren. Paying attention to movies as much as I can because Houston sports teams are just kind of blowing up everything. <laughs> So I'm not really paying attention to that. George Springer, I'll miss you. Um, ah. we'll, we'll see what can happen. Probably another scandal, right, James? Fuck you.
1: <laughs> did I hear right, is it true that, did James Harden really wear a fat suit to get traded? I mean, I,
3: I saw pictures of his first game in Brooklyn, and he was, he was cut. <laughs> Ripped. Yeah, he looked Ripped.
0: like he lost about 50 pounds over a t-
3: two-week span. There's no lipo that can do that. I know, like James says, you know, fifteen pounds when one one rough weekend—that's really all it takes. You go on a bit of a bender and eat a bunch of salty food. Yeah, and hold on, hold on to that weight—super easy. That's <laughs> true.
4: That's what I was going to share. Actually, is much like James Harden. Uh, I also can gain and lose twenty pounds depending on if I try during the weekend. <laughs> um, and- uh, when I saw that, and everyone's like, "Wow, that's crazy!" I was like, "No, this is just an unspoken rule that all dr- Jameses know." Is he just stopped eating, you know, shitty food at four a.m. and worked out for like two days, and he lost twenty pounds like it was nothing. It's 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 pretty well known.
2: <laughs> My world, nothing too exciting. Mostly, I'm just excited to be back with you all and introduce our next guest, Munson. We're here with Lauren Hopkins. Lauren is a higher education professional. She lives in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. She's worked from home since before COVID made it cool. <laughs> <laughs> she lo- also loved to travel often before COVID made it that not cool either. She's learning Italian and usually reads over 50 books a year. Congratulations, that is Whoa. a lot. When she's not doing all these things, Lauren works as a background actor and has worked on over a dozen films and TV shows.
4: Welcome, Lauren. Ooh, yeah. Welcome. Welcome to the pod. We have a star amongst us. Holy moly, we do.
2: Just another one, you know. Tell us a little bit about some of these films and TV shows that you've been on.
5: Well, I got my start in background acting when no one wanted to give me a real job. So um, (laughs) if you find yourself in that boat, um, I would always seek out background acting as a great gig job in this gig economy. Pittsburgh has a pretty vibrant film scene. Um, There's pretty steady film projects coming in thanks to a tax credit in Pennsylvania and just kind of something that I thought was a lot of fun and started working on stuff and who doesn't want to go hang out with fun actors all day and also get paid to read books because you spend a lot of time sitting around doing nothing. So (laughs) as I mentioned, you know, I mentioned, I like to read, so get to hang out with actors, get to see how movies are made, get paid to read books kind of a win 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 for me and
1: what are some of the movies I've prepared two truths and a lie for Lauren's filmography. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> two of these films she's in, one of these films she is not. Film number 1, Jack Reacher. Film number 2, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, and film number 3, Gulliver's Travels. Oh boy. James, I'll let you go first since you don't normally get to participate in two truths and a lie. Jack Reacher is the one that she is not in. Okay,
2: Kyle. I'm going to hope that, too, because I really want Lauren to have been in Gulliver's Travels.
3: It would bring me joy. Lauren? I know it's not Jack Re- I'm not saying I know it. I know that was filmed in Pittsburgh. So I'm going to say A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. All right. And Rigby? I think Gulliver's Travels is the lie, because I feel like that
0: is a movie that wasn't filmed in Pittsburgh. So I'm by process of elimination, that's what I'm, I'm going to
1: choose. Well, very good. Rigby gets it. She was not in Gulliver's Travels. You got a really cool uh, filmography as a background actress. Yeah, that's awesome. That is sweet.
5: Yes, I will say if you are looking to easily find me, that's the question that friends ask most often. Uh, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood is the one where you can most easily see me in the wedding scenes. People always ask, though, I did not get to work with Tom Hanks, and that's kind of a bummer.
0: I thought you were gonna say you were uh, you were blown up by Bane and Hyde's Field in Dark
3: Night Rising.
0: <laughs> <laughs> when you said Pittsburgh and, and and extras, that's kind of the movie that came to mind. I
5: was there when he blew some stuff up. Does that
0: count? Yeah, absolutely counts. <laughs> yeah, that counts. That's closer than we all got. That's for sure.
5: Yes, and we we filmed winter scenes on a day in August when it was about eighty five degrees.
1: Oh, that's wild. Yeah. It's like Texas, though, so it works. (laughs) Right at home there. Were you able to get offset with any cool props?
5: I do have a rally towel, I think they called it, from The Dark Knight Rises. Um, They let us keep those, but mostly because we sweat all over them all day, and I think it was too disgusting for us to give them back.
1: (laughs) Uh (laughs) That makes sense. Do you have a cool, like like holy shit star moment where you saw like one of the big stars in one of the movies and you're just, I can't believe I'm watching this person do this.
5: Yeah. I worked on a movie called Concussion that stars Will Smith. Wow! And the day that I filmed, there was only a couple other background actors there that day. And normally there's a hierarchy on, on sets and you would not get coffee at the same place that a principal actor would be getting coffee. But that particular day I did. And so I'm getting coffee right next to him and it's a very weird moment and he's standing there singing don't cry for me argentina (laughs) because uh and it was just one of those moments that i was like what is happening and is this my life right now this is what i am being paid to do today is to stand here and drink coffee and listen to you sing this song right now
2: all right well we're excited to have you and uh looking forward to the conversation (laughs) birthdays january 28th what do we got warren
3: we've got to start we're gonna do alan alda huge role in mash the aviator wanderlust and tower heist also old (laughs) 85 warren oh i think he's old i think he's been around a long time Mm. he's (sighs) 73 again 76 79 80 Eighty-five, rugby on the. Oh dock.
5: my God, he's that
3: old! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> holy, holy shit. shit. I, I sent, I sent a pretty misleading uh, gif of him. You know his role in Mash.
5: Damn.
3: But if you were to go look again, I, I mean, he's he's dated. God. Last up, we've got Elijah Wood, Ooh. Lord of the Rings, The Faculty, Green Street Hooligan, Sin City, and The Last Witch Hunter with Vin Diesel. He's looked like he was fourteen his entire life, so I have no idea. Yeah, forty-three.
0: I, I was going to say 45. I think he's older than he looks. Well, yeah, because he looks like a child.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I think 40.
1: 38. Well, then I'll go the other way. Give me 48.
3: Well, it doesn't matter. Lauren wins 40 on the dot. Ooh. Okay. Nice. nice. Over the hill. Elijah Wood. But that's it. Those are the birthdays. Happy birthday to those people. That's it. The end. All right.
2: So we had five actors we threw onto the wheel. The wheel half-spoken and... It is not Woody Harrelson. It's not Cameron Diaz. It's not Daniel Brühl. And it's not Robin Tunney. Even though, like last time, we talked about the Locklear bots just harassing us. The Robin Tunney fans came out in droves over the past two days. I I think we had like seven or eight different people saying Robin Tunney on our Instagram
3: photo that we posted. Gotta give the
4: people what they want, you know? The
3: the Tunney honeys. Yeah, I. (laughs) The the
4: Tunny Pot.
0: (laughs) Part of me was hoping we could do her just so we could have a reason to watch Encino Man, Kyle.
2: You know, no wheezing the juice. Oh,
1: good grief.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But it is not Robin Tunney. Maybe we know there's some fans out there, so potentially at a later time. But uh, the wheel chose Maya Rudolph. And she's got about 100 credits on her resume. She's got, of everyone we've covered, probably the most diverse array. Mm -hmm. of types of credits in terms of film, TV, shorts, video games, sketches, across the board. So she's pretty diverse when it comes to the type of work she's done in her career. So as we normally do, we start with a little actor
4: trivia and see if James can stump us. So Lauren, what we are doing here is we're going to do two truths and a lie. Two of these facts I'm going to read are true about Maya Rudolph. And one of the facts I'm going to read is about one of the many cast members of the Fast and Furious franchise. You guys have to guess which one is which. For Maya's trivia, uh, I'm going to make it theme-specific because I think Kyle will cover this a little bit later, but she comes from a very creative family, uh, specifically Mm -hmm. not when it comes to comedy, but actually when it comes to music. So all the facts that I have about her are about music. That's good. Before we get into those facts, her mom and dad were both professional musicians. Her dad was a composer and her mom was a singer-songwriter. And when I looked up her mom, you know what song she said? It was like a classic Motown, right? Loving yeah. you is easy because <laughs> yeah. you're beautiful. <laughs> you remember get the high that song? Note, James. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was blown away when I saw that. But anyway, raised yes. a very musical family. We will touch on that later. Let's get to the Maya Rudolph facts here. Fact number one At the suggestion of her high school music teacher, she auditioned for a Coca Cola commercial and landed a role in the commercial singing the Always Coca-Cola tagline. Fact number two, she was once in a band that was actually so successful that it was the opening act for bands like Garbage, Alanis Morissette, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Fact number three, she is in a Prince cover band that has performed at Carnegie Hall and Bonnaroo.
1: I know this one to be factual. It's Iggy Azalea. Who was featured in Furious Seven as Race Girl? That's fact number one. <laughs>
4: Wait, Iggy Azalea is in Fast and the Furious?
1: Well, uh, Furious Seven. So yeah. I might
4: have I might have to start watching these movies. I'm mocking.
0: <laughs> I think one is the lie too, and I think that's Ava uh, Mendes. Give me one. Going on with one 2
3: I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with number two. Uh, that's Sung Kang who plays Han. Um, <laughs> He's, he's actually the, the singer of a band that <laughs> opened up for Red Hot Chili Peppers
1: and Garbage <laughs> and all, all that other stuff. I buy it. I'm in.
5: Yeah, I think the first one's The Lie, but I think I've only maybe seen one Fast and Furious movie, so I have no facts to back that up with.
4: <laughs> oh, you've seen more than enough to fully grasp one It's about family. That's really important. You got to know that. Uh, And then that's about it. So you pretty much got the gist (laughs) of the Fast and Furious movies. But I appreciate you guys guessing. So I will start with the one that no one chose. Uh, She is in a Prince cover band uh, that is actually very successful. Um, It's known as Princess, clever enough, and was given the thumbs up of approval by Prince himself when he was still alive, um, which is About as high praise as you can get in a cover band is to get the recognition from the actual artists themselves. Fact number two is in fact true. Right after college, instead of getting into acting, she sang and played piano for her band called The Rentals and they toured. They were with those, uh, Alanis Morissette, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Garbage. I mean, those are three major bands from the 90s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. An argument can be made that, you know, Red Hot Chili Peppers is one of the greatest bands of the last 20, 30 years. So that's really impressive on her end. In fact, number one, you guys guessed it, was in fact not true at the suggestion of his high school music teacher. He auditioned for a Coca-Cola commercial, landed the role. That would be Tyrese Gibson. Um, people forget that he used to be an average R&B singer before he became an average actor.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <Consistency. laughs> yes.
4: Yeah. Good Some looking man, though. Thought. Yes, he's a handsome dude, and that gets you far. Cool. Thanks, James. Let's
2: take a little bit of a look at her snapshot and box office history. Case, what do we got?
1: You know, she's not; she's just not a huge box office draw, which makes sense, right? Because her fan base is coming from things like SNL, digital shorts, streaming movies, streaming shows. I personally think she's super talented, which we'll see as we're talking about her tonight. But comparing to others who have had, you know, real obvious box office, you know, successes and failures tied to them. You know, it's just tough to compare her to those folks. I was surprised at how low her IMDB star meter has been as of late and how it's been trending. Because of her high profile on Saturday Night Live of VP Harris, I really thought that she was going to rank really high um, on our list. But out of the 28, she actually ranks 18 at the time of recording. And then the other thing I was surprised about was that she's ranked really low on both. Fan and critic rankings. She ranks twenty fourth out of twenty eight on both of our lists, which again I thought was crazy because I figured she would be somebody that fans would probably gravitate towards her projects um, because I, I do think they're they're geared towards audiences that like her and her brand of entertainment. And then I figured critics would would rank her twenty fourth out of our twenty eight. So she has had some good box office performances, you know, because of some high profit movies like Big Hero Six. Angry Birds, Shrek 3, you know, and then she's kind of an auxiliary character in the Sandler films. So you're going to you're going to be in some movies that make some money. But, you know, a main star in a non-animated film, really, Bridesmaids is probably her most notable film, which, as we've talked about on other podcasts, is a pretty damn cool film to be connected with.
2: I mean, it sounds like most of the big money making projects she's in are voice work based on what you just told us. Okay, cool. Thanks, case. All right. Well, uh, before we start talking about specific um, coverage, so before we talk about first feature film, dig into a little bit more of what James didn't cover in his trivia segment. So, first off, she went to high school with some interesting people slash royalty. She went to high school with Gwyneth Paltrow and Jack Black. No big deal. Ever heard I mean, of him? So she went to high school with them. Uh, she grew up singing, doing local theater. Right. You have two parents who both. Performers. I mean, that's going to happen. She went to UC Santa Cruz, got her bachelor's in photography, or at least went to get her bachelor's in photography. I'm not entirely sure she ever finished. Maybe she did. If you all have that information, please do share it. Her first band that she started was called Super Sauce. Been some really creative names for bands the last couple episodes with what people have done.
4: That's what made the uh, the Parks and Rec joke so good is because it's absolutely true. All the Mm-hmm. bands that aren't mm-hmm. famous have the funniest names and they change constantly <laughs> yep
2: this is true very creative and as james had mentioned she did keyboard and backup vocals for the reynolds for four years between 94 and 98 and there's a ton of stuff on youtube you can check it out the lead singer is the basis for weezer so a pretty cool little group after that she joined the groundlings improv troupe which is a really famous improv group and other alumni uh, consist of people like Will Forte, Kristen Wiig, Melissa McCarthy, Wendy McClemon Covey. These are all people that she works with at some point in her career. These are the relationships that kind of took her uh, career to the next level in the late 90s. But her first role ever was in an episode of Chicago Hope, played a nurse. And then she was in the movie Gattaca, also played a nurse. So really staying in one particular lane, they're like, you were a good nurse. Come back and be a nurse on Gattaca. And then it's not until 97 when she's in As Good As It Gets, as a policewoman.
1: Oh, not as a nurse?
2: No, not as a nurse. She (laughs) breaks out of that. She does return to it later.
4: Yeah, there was a uh, funny little anecdote that I stumbled across was she was on Chicago Hope for a year. And uh, she was at a red carpet event with her husband. It was like her first red carpet event. So she was a little overwhelmed. And she was there and she saw a couple actors she knew, a couple actors she didn't know. And so she was uh, gravitating towards the one she did know. And she saw George Clooney. She went up to him, gave him a hug, started talking to him, started talking about their time on ER together. And he informed her that she wasn't on ER. And she goes, that's correct. Yeah, I just hugged an actor I don't know. I pretended we worked together. We did it. And it wasn't until after the fact that I realized that I made that all up. I hope
2: they can laugh about that today. That's right. all. I, oh, that's funny that's shit. <laughs> Good for her. I mean that that fits in with her personality. She's pretty brave and doesn't have a lot of shame. I'm sure she was more than willing to do that. In 99. She was in an like I think she was in the pilot of the show Undressed that used to be on MTV back in the day. And so one episode of that, and then she was in a movie called Duets. She played a karaoke hostess, but she also was the music supervisor for that movie.
1: Let's talk about how insane the karaoke craze was and the fact they made a movie about it. If you haven't seen it or you don't remember it, do yourself a favor and YouTube the trailer to this, and you will laugh as hard at that trailer as you have at a lot of things in the last few months.
4: Dude, Gwyneth Paltrow's song f- from that movie ended up, like, charting in the billboards. Like, Oh, you're talking about Cruisin'? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, is that the was, movie uh,
1: that's from? Very successful, yeah. yeah. Oh, well. Wow. There you go. And while we're at it, I mean, how unfair is it that Huey Lewis is in a karaoke contest?
4: <laughs> <laughs> and a, a shockingly decent actor. Yeah. On the back half of
1: 2000, uh,
2: she returns toward Nurse Roots, and she stars in an episode of City of Angels alongside Viola Davis, who played another one of the nurses on that show, which I thought was pretty interesting. And uh, 2000's also the year that she started her run on SNL, which she was a full-time cast member until 2007, and then has done a number of guest spots um, over the 12 years since then. So we will cover that at the back end. We'll talk about some of her most famous SNL characters, so if you're here to listen to that, just chill for a little bit, bear with us through the next uh, through the filmography portion, and we'll eventually get back to the SNL stuff. And then also a one, she uh, starts a relationship with PTA, Paul Thomas Anderson, and they're still together. They have four kids at this point, and it's kind of fun to see her career because every time she's pregnant, she's playing a pregnant character in a movie and just <laughs> not hide it whatsoever. <laughs> so good for her for finding characters that allow her to be pregnant and still have good work. It just <laughs> seems like an odd couple. When you think about like PTA as the director, and,
3: opposites attract, dude. I, yeah. I guess she's the one who probably gets him out of his little fucking corner. That's true. <laughs>
2: <laughs> she's the com- the comedic uh, the comedic side of that relationship. Two thousand one, she's in uh, <laughs> she's in an episode of TV Funhouse, which, uh, which was a big show back in the day. But she plays Oprah in that, and you see some of her Oprah impressions later with SNL as well. And mm-hmm. she has a minor role in. Fifty-first dates is a character named Stacy, and also No. Four is when she makes Entertainment Weekly's list of funny funniest people in America. She's number twenty. I guess four years into her SNL run, she gets some notoriety for her humor and comedy. Sweet.
1: I'm just realizing that she's been one of the funniest women and people in America for almost twenty years. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. She's good at yeah. what she does.
2: Before we hit first feature film. Uh, a movie she's in uh, that she's got a smaller role, but I think a movie that a lot of us enjoy is a Prairie Home Companion. She plays Molly.
0: I rewatched this movie the other day. I love it. And I know that you like it, Kyle. I could see why people don't like it, but the music is awesome. It's got a star-studded cast, and I also love Robert Altman. He's one of my favorite directors, and this was his last movie, so it holds a special place in my heart. And she's very pregnant in the movie, as you mentioned earlier, yes. Kyle. Yeah. Yes, she is. And there's a scene where you see her bare belly so she she goes all out. For this being one of her first movies, I think it would that would be a really fun movie to be a part of just with that cast cuz you're like yeah. You get you get the comedy aspect, you get like the John C. Reillys and and people like that, but you also get like Meryl Streep and and Woody Harrelson. I mean, some of the best actors of yeah. that time, you know. So that'd be L- a really Lily cool part, thing to be a part of.
1: Lily Tomlin, yeah. Yep. My favorite part of her in that movie is when she causes the two <laughs> singers lily tomlin and meryl streep to completely fuck with the foley guy the guy that makes all the, the sound effects mm. you know like the people walking down the hall so they keep telling his stories and he has to keep up with them and, and they just they'll say something that's completely impossible for him to make a sound of and they'll just smile at him
2: my favorite part of hers is when she can't get gk out of the room and so she fakes that she's going into labor <laughs> um, and, all the, and she's like, I'm kidding you, they need you on the stage, let's go so I was like, alright, good for you Um, and all of that leads up to uh, her first feature film and that's Idiocracy, 2006
0: and uh, Rigby's got it I won't go too into the review just because it's a cult classic, it wasn't very popular when it came out in 2006 but since since its release, I think it's really gained popularity basically the plot of the movie is a US Army librarian named Joe Bowers, played by Luke Wilson he's selected for a a hibernation experiment by the U S army where they want to see if humans can hibernate basically for an extended period of time. They pick him because he's the most average individual in the, in the U S army. <laughs> <laughs> he's got the most average, like grades, most average, like health scores, all that stuff. So he, he's the ideal candidate and he also doesn't have a family. So they want to make it cause it's kind of a hush, hush thing. So they want to make it, uh, they want to choose somebody who isn't really that special to, to do this. Where Maya Rudolph comes in is because it's the army, they are lacking a suitable uh, female for the role because they want to do a, both a male and female to see if it works on both genders. Maya Rudolph, who plays a prostitute in the movie named Rita, she is selected because of her private, uh, private sector experience as the, uh, <laughs> as the army leader describes. He bribes her pimp into, uh, into getting her into this role. Uh, It turns out that the officer who selected Rita and Joe is arrested for his own prostitution ring under the guidance of uh, the pimp whose name is Upgrade. (laughs) Spelled in a way that you would uh, not assume. (laughs) Basically, because the experiment was so controversial, only a few people know about it. And so when the officer was arrested, the experiment was forgotten about. Over a span of 500 years, Rita and Joe are forgotten about in these, these little tombs that they're put in by the army. And when there's an earthquake in 500 years later in the future because of building up of garbage in the future, I don't even know what's the, what's the (laughs) word for it? It's like the great garbage earthquake of, of 2050. Yeah, I can't remember, but they wake up and it's 500 years in the future. They don't know that obviously, but they realize that the world has gotten incredibly stupid and that they are the smartest people alive. A lot happens in the movie that's absolutely hilarious. Um, it's an incredibly timely movie for today's times because basically, it the movie sort of projects a world in which you know people watch too much TV. There's extreme, you know, corporations take over, and we basically all just get dumber as the years go on. Like I said, it's a cult classic. It made the budget was four million, and it only made about five hundred thousand. And there's a there's actually an interesting backstory about the studio that made it, Fox. Uh, I guess they were not happy with the movie, and they I think they either dropped the their uh, distribution of it altogether, or they just didn't they just didn't promote it when it came out. Uh, if my recollection serves me correctly, I think that's what the directors had a problem with: is that they the studio that distributed the movie basically just sort of forgot about it. I would say Maya Rudolph, you know, she th- for what for what they needed with <laughs> with with uh, this character. To be thrown into this world where she all of a sudden is the smartest person in the world, I think that is a hilarious um, – it's a hilarious juxtaposition. Dude,
2: she's immediately hustling some guy telling him, yeah, you keep paying me by the right. hour. We'll, we'll hook up
0: tomorrow. You're like, oh, man she realizes that she can, these people are so dumb that she can basically make money as a prostitute without actually having sex. So it's it's a, yes. it's a brilliant business plan on her end. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. Um, it's on HBO Max right now. Was this
3: Mike Judge? It sure was. Yeah.
4: Yes. I love Mike Judge. He, he's got such a good touch on like how to make something that's funny that looks like it's lowbrow humor, but it's mm-hmm. actually incredibly like nuanced and clever.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. It's kind of timely with, with Trump Uh, now being out of the White House. But I I read a quote that Mike Judge said during the 2016 election. He said that when asked about predicting the future, he said, uh, Mike Judge said, I'm no prophet, but I was off by 490 years. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's hilarious. That is timely. As time has passed. But yeah, great movie. Mm -hmm. And a good role for for Maya Rudolph in her first feature film.
2: Well, between 2007-2008, she's in a couple projects. She's in uh, Shrek 3rd as... Craig had mentioned in terms of one of the bigger box office draws that she'd been in.
1: Shrek the 3rd is one of our highest ranking opening weekends. It opened at 122 million. That's stupid.
4: Did any of you guys watch that movie?
1: No. No. It
4: sucks, man. The first two are so good, the third one is terrible.
2: Her Rapunzel character have anything to do with how bad it was or is just kind of irrelevant in the larger scheme.
4: Some of these characters are characters that, you know, are loved, you know, Shrek and Donkey are these guys put wings on their mansions because of these characters. And it's just, they're still not enjoyable. It's just poorly written. It's okay. beautiful, but it's just, it's like not, it's just not funny. The story is not entertaining. Screen, yeah, it's, just, it's just not an enjoyable watch. Understood. It's a
2: cra- cash grab. That's usually what happens. And that'll take us to our Munson's choice. So if you're a first time listener, the way this works, we give our guest Munson the opportunity to review a movie outside of the normal five categories. And in this case, Lauren chose 2009's Away We Go. So tell us about it, Lauren.
5: All right, Away We Go.
0: <laughs>
5: this is an indie film. It was directed by Sam Mendes. And the movie starts off two main characters, Bert and Verona, who are played by John Krasinski and Maya Rudolph. And they find out that they are expecting a baby, and the story sort of takes off from there. It plays out pretty episodically. They start with a visit to Bert's parents, who are played by Catherine O'Hara and Jeff Daniels, and they're kind of trying to decide. You know, they they were planning to raise the baby near its only living grandparents, but then Bert's parents, who are a little quirky, as you can guess by Catherine O'Hara and Jeff Daniels. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. His parents announced they're moving to Antwerp, and so they're not going to be around. And so Bert and Verona are deciding what do we do now, and where do we live, and who do we want to raise our, our baby by, and what kind of life do we want to have from there? They take a series of visits to, to friends and co-workers and family. And so after seeing his parents, they make a visit to an old co-worker played by Allison Janney, who is as entertaining as you would imagine. Yeah. Her husband is played by Jim Gaffigan, who also provides some very dry humor.
2: (laughs) He's good at that in his movie roles, for sure. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
4: They
5: make a visit to Verona's sister. They make a visit to an old family friend, played by Maggie Gyllenhaal, who is this very crunchy, hippie, earth mother type Mm -hmm. character. I personally think she's probably gives us some of the most comedic parts of this movie, in my opinion. They make a visit to some old friends, played by Chris Messina, Melanie Linsky. There's a lot of people in this movie.
1: Yeah, it's a huge cast.
5: Yeah. They make a visit to Bert's brother, who's played by Paul Schneider. And something to note in in this scene that I actually liked was that you actually get to see some of Maya Rudolph's singing in a scene with Bert's niece. Um, She's kind of singing in the background, but you definitely get to hear her singing singing to her, singing her to sleep at night. And then, you know, there's kind of a, a predictable but sweet ending, and... I am somebody that has no qualms about ending, spoiling a 12-year-old movie, but they end up <laughs> in in Verona's childhood home. It's certainly something that's a, it's a drama. It's got some comedic parts. And again, I'm a big Allison Janney fan. I know you guys have yeah. covered her here on mm-hmm. the podcast. Mm-hmm.
2: Love her. She's great. Love
5: Allison Janney. Um, love her in drama roles. Loved her on the West Wing. Love her in her comedy roles. Again, I think Maggie Gyllenhaal brought the comedic heat here. Um, there's a scene with a, stroller that is particularly funny it's <laughs> pretty good I think you see Maya Rudolph in a a very pensive reflective role here but she's still I think you get that signature dry humor from her that that's something I really like about her something that really resonates with me but I will say what really drew me to this movie and kind of want why I wanted to talk about it was that I think this movie is about what I consider to be the biggest secret to adulthood and it's that nobody knows what the hell they're doing. <laughs> and part of that reason is that there is no one right way to do life. And throughout this movie, you see Bert and Verona talking to all of their family and friends and coworkers. And they're trying to figure out where should we live and who should we raise our child by? And how the hell are we supposed to do this? And and Verona even says to Bert, you know, at one point, like, Bert, are we fuck-ups? Like, are, can we do this? And... I think they're just trying to figure out how do we do this? And I, I think that's something that anybody can relate to. And so there's, there's kind of a cool message there. Something else that I thought was kind of funny in my research was there was a, there was one critic, you know, I think when you, when you are reading reviews of a 12 year old movie, one critic referred to Maya Rudolph as a virtually unknown SNL alum. (laughs)
4: Excuse me?
5: Yeah. Reading it in 2021, just (laughs) that did not hold up. Well,
4: Correct. it's like, there's Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Will <laughs> Ferrell, and then this chick. I don't know who she is. <laughs> yeah, it was just
5: I read that and I I kind of had to go back and read it again and make sure I was understanding the context of what they were saying. And it's a good film. It's there there's not much else to say about it.
1: How is she dramatically?
5: Again, she was very reflective. Like she she really played that well. I think you still see that dry humor. I'm thinking of a scene in particular with with Catherine O'Hara and Jeff Daniels. Because they were just very quirky and over the top, very excited to, you know, see her, see the ultrasound pictures. And they're just, you know, very outlandish. And she was just kind of quietly taking it all in and and just sort of indulging them. You know, at one point, Catherine O'Hara's character asks her, you know, do you think the baby will be black? And she's like, oh, well, I don't know. Maybe we'll... We'll will keep it out in the sun for a few days just to be sure. And,
3: <laughs>
5: and so, so you see those, you know, you see those kind of moments where she's just kind of taking it all in stride. But I do think she she has the chops as a as a dramatic actor as well.
4: She's mentioned uh, many times before that because she lost her mother at such a young age and was you know raised by a single parent that being a parent. In itself has been difficult for her because she doesn't really know what a motherly figure is supposed to act like, and you know, four kids all close in age is a lot for anyone to handle. And so she left SNL because she was raising a family, and I could see that a lot of the jokes that she pulls from being a mother and you know raising uh, young children and being someone who's mixed as well and raising a child. You can see those jokes in this movie as well as other roles that she's had. Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, her character in this movie, her parents are both have passed away in a, a car accident, and uh, when she was uh, a, t- uh, a young adult, so not a child, but at a young age, and and so I think you see that, and I, I think you see her real life experience played out in the character, and I think you see the the two writers of the film as well. You see some of the the parallels of their life played out in Bert and Verona as well, where they were like we're a young couple and we're trying to figure out real life too. Again, with that art imitates life and it just sort of brought their real life experience into this film as well.
2: And you got to respect the hustle for her. Like some actresses when they're pregnant might be like, I got to take some time off. I think she seeks out roles that she can be pregnant in and keep working and keep doing her thing in this case. I mean, good for her doing some dramatic work because at this point she'd really only done comedies, especially comedic characters until this point. So
3: yeah,
4: the only reason she left SNL is because how demanding that schedule is. So yeah. she kept she kept doing movies. She's just like I couldn't be, you know, putting in twelve hour days to meet a you know a Saturday night deadline while raising four kids. It's just impossible. Thank you, Lauren.
2: Appreciate that. Over the next three years, uh, she's pretty busy. First and foremost, she's in one of the podcast favorites. Yeah, she plays Casey in MacGruber. Wow, wow,
4: wow, wow. I watched this with Wifey uh, for the first time this past week. It is very stupid, but hilarious. Uh, I can't believe it, you hadn't seen it earlier, James.
0: I'm surprised by that.
4: It was one of those movies that unfortunately fell in my guidelines of everyone has p- poorly reviewed this movie online, so I'll just <laughs> never see it. <laughs> (laughs) And the only reason I knew of it is my fraternity brothers love it and quote it all the time, but I never got around to watching it. And then I finally watched it for this podcast and it's absolutely hilarious. Fuck you, dude.
3: (laughs) The movie is great. She has such a minimal role in it, but I mean, it is what it is. Both of the scenes that I remember from her are when you first see her
4: character, it's them getting married, her and MacGruber getting married, and she explodes. Yep hilariously graphic and random and fit the ridiculousness of the movie. And then the next time you see her is when he's having sex with her ghost in the graveyard. dude. It's so, it's so absurd and drawn out that it's so funny. Cause it's like, it's not just like a minute, it's like a good three minute sex scene and it's graphic <laughs> yes. and it's just over
0: the top. I think this movie holds a special place in, in uh warren kyle and i's heart because i think we all watched it together
3: in what 2011 would that have been when it yeah. a year after it yep. came out i mean i see i saw it in theaters and i think i i don't know if i had introduced it i think to, you did to you, guys. I think you did. i think you did yeah ta, ta. Ta, ta. <laughs> ta. <laughs> oh no
1: no
3: no no no
1: <laughs> yeah
3: just tell me what you want me to fuck
1: <laughs> in mcgruber the skit, Maya Rudolph was his female assistant when it first aired on Saturday Night Live. Oh. So I'm sure that's how she ended up getting yep. married to him in the actual movie.
3: That makes sense, being an SNL product. Chris and was in a bunch of them. Um, yeah. They definitely brought over the the SNL crowd. And those three were in that sketch group
4: together before they were on SNL, so they probably worked on those characters.
2: That goes to 2011 and her probably her biggest role the role that she gets associated with the most because she says when she even goes to starbucks people associate her as a woman who to, took a shit in a wedding dress in the middle of the street as her character in lillian in bridesmaids
3: really relatable scenario
0: <laughs> <laughs> i love bridesmaids too we've talked about bridesmaids with o- O'Dowd. o'dowd and and yep it's an awesome movie and Maya rudolph's character is hilarious her and Kristen Wiig have great chemistry. Mm-hmm. They're best friends, but they're opposite in a way because cause Lillian, who's played by Maya Rudolph, she seems to have her life figured out and Kristen Wiig obviously doesn't. The way that they bounce off each other and the scenes that they have of just those two together are are great. It's a phenomenal movie and
1: it still holds up today. It's absolutely hilarious. It's fun seeing her on that side of the relationship. Like the straight woman? Yeah. Not the quirky one. You see, yeah, she's just – she is the dramatic role. To Kristen Wiggs, you know, zany, batshit crazy. Yep, yeah. There, there's, there's not an area where this movie fails. That was
4: part of the the casting of Maya Rudolph was. She can't. She even said herself. She's like, I I came in late in the process, and they pretty much just had me do like a chemistry read with Kristen Wiig because they just wanted her character to have chemistry, clearly be friends because they weren't going to give a lot of exposition on. How long they've been friends, you know, where, where their relationship is from. Obviously, since they've been friends and worked together for so long, she's like, I came in and like Paul Feige was immediately like, yeah,
1: yep, yeah, that's yours. Yeah. You're, you're, that's your role. <laughs> that's really interesting. Yeah, that makes sense.
4: Yeah.
2: You can judge accordingly, but we can call 2011, 2012 her O'Dowd era because following Bridesmaids, she was in Friends with Kids, played Leslie, and she was married to Chris O'Dowd in the movie. So back to back with our boy in that time period. She's in a, a recurring TV show called Up All Night. And then she's d- does a little crossover with uh, Sam Rockwell in The Way, Way Back. And Jannie's in that too, isn't she? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So she's it's just Jannie and O'Dowd through this little five-year stretch here, back-to-back.
3: I don't hate it. The movie's great. Her role is very grounding uh, in the movie. But you know, we talked about it for Rockwell, uh, where he's like that backwoods comedic relief and she's kind of like his girlfriend uh, slash serious manager of the water park. That is kind of the main uh, scene for the movie.
5: I don't hate that combination that Rockwell, Janny, Maya Rudolph. Oh, hell no. I'll take it any day.
3: No, oh, that's, that's, <laughs> that's a hell of a group. That aren't <laughs> just like the, <laughs> the main, the main people, like they're not what you would consider just like stars. They're all very big supporting and they all mesh really, really well together. Steve Carell is probably the biggest name draw in this movie. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. Agreed. Strong film. We can't recommend it enough after last week, and uh, once again we'll do it here. And then uh, finally she's in another pretty decent uh, animated film called Turbo. She plays Burn. And that takes us to largest audience gap and that is Grown Ups 2. And this is my review
0: unfortunately. Oh, I've been waiting all week for this, Kyle. Uh, Don't let us down, man.
2: So in terms of audience gap, On IMDb, there's a 54-19 breakdown, so audience to critics, and then 53-8 on Rotten Tomatoes. So an 8 from the critics, 53 from the
4: audiences. That's got to be the biggest gap we've seen uh, for an audience gap. It's one of them. I think we've hit like 60.
3: I think we did hit like a 60-70 in the mm-hmm. past week or two.
2: But this is up there. If This is going to be in the pantheon of audience gaps, for sure. This movie came out three years after the original. It's the same director, so Dennis Dugan, who who's done most of Sandler's Happy Madison mm-hmm. projects. So you're going to get that same voice, same approach. Just so you guys, for the folks on here who haven't seen it, uh, Rigby and James, the first opening scene of the movie, there is a reindeer running amuck in their house, peeing on everything. What that has to do with anything, you'll find out later. I guess, I guess it comes back around, but there, it's just the <laughs> dumbest way to start a movie in history.
3: Yep.
2: So, my first beef with this movie, number one, is, and I'll give them credit in this one. The whole Sandler Hayek combo as a couple is so unbe- unbelievable in real life that they at least made a meta joke about it in Grown Ups 2 when he said uh, he's talking to his kids and says it only makes sense in a Hollywood movie. So I'm giving them credit for that because I'm sure they got a lot of feedback after the first one. But basic gist is these five adult friends and their three, I guess, three wives, including Maya Rudolph, living lives in the suburbs, and they end up going to a local like watering hole swimming spot and a bunch of frat guys end up like telling them this is their turf Yada, 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 and enter another one of David Spade's random kids, Alex Ludwig, and he plays the younger, like, rough-and-tumble version of David Spade. And basically, he hates David Spade, and because he hates David Spade's character, then he ends up like destroying these frat guys' frat house. They think it's these old people that they you know, may jump into the lake naked. Everything transpires. They throw a big 80s party at their house and the frat guys show up and there's literally a massive royal rumble including adults, children, everyone fighting each other on the on the on this Sandler's lawn. And that's how the movie crescendos with the reindeer coming back into the fold and attacking a stuffed animal to save the day. That's the movie.
4: It sounds awesome. <laughs> Did it win any awards?
2: Well, it got nine <laughs> nominations at the Razzies and it set a record at the time because it it went Ofer. for it went o nine and up until 2017 for Transformers the last night no movie had been nominated as many times at the Razzies and not one. There's your award footprint for grown ups too.
0: It sounds like this was just a another example of of like from 2010 to 2015. I mean Sandler just. I don't know what that, what Happy Universe or Happy Madison Universe was thinking because they had some some big time bomberoos and this sounds like it was one of them. It's still happening, man. It's 20. It's still happening <laughs> with
3: his, his Netflix deal. It's all yep, money, but, man. True. Yeah. And for you, Uncut Gems, right, Warren? Uh, yeah. Yeah. If Happy <laughs> Madison did that one, it'd
4: be better. <laughs> I saw a critic describe this movie. Uh, I just read this. It says, somehow the word sequel doesn't quite fit this. It would be like if you were describing three months of agonizing spinal surgery as the sequel to falling off of a cliff.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that seems about right. It's almost like Happy Madison is recycling characters. So Warren will probably agree with me. Jonathan LaFrance's character, he basically plays the same character. In The Water Boy. Uh huh. And John Lovitz's character as the creep is the same one in Little Nicky. Yep. I don't know if it's part of the same universe or they're just being lazy. It's
3: it's a bit of both, but it's also like the same reason why characters they all have the same like last name. There's always mm-hmm. uh whatever whatever Chonk Boy's name name in this, um Kevin. Ch- James? Uh, Kevin James. <laughs> yeah, uh, Kevin James. Like, whatever his last name is in this, was it, that name is used, like, ten times over in mm. the Happy Madison universe. Is it O'Doyle? Yeah. No, no, no. It's like <laughs> whatever it is, I, I don't I don't fucking know. Amaya's
2: character, I mean, there's not much to it. She doesn't have a ton of screen time. She's married to Chris Rock in the role. She mentioned at one point she asked the kid if a doo-doo grenade went off in their diaper, and that's how I felt watching the movie that a doo-doo <laughs> grenade went off on my eyeballs. Um, and in my, oh my ears God. on this one, there's kind of a funny gag between her and her husband, and he remembers their 20th anniversary, but she doesn't. So he just holds it over her head the rest of the movie, but it's pretty limited. So
3: that's Grown Ups 2. It's on YouTube. Watch it for free.
2: Over the next three years, very busy. So she's in uh, another animated film, The Nut Job. She plays Precious. Uh, she's in her husband's film, Inherent Vice, as Petunia in 2014 couple TV show spots, Portlandia and Family Guy. And then she gets into some more voice work in Big Hero
3: 6 um, as cast. It's a fun movie, but her role's really not all that big.
2: I enjoyed Big Hero 6. I I think it points to a theme of some of the non-Pixar animated films that she goes with aren't actually half bad. There are some decent, like Turbo, Big Hero 6, there are some decent animated films. So, good for her. So, next couple years, she's in Maggie's Plan and Sisters, so you see some more connections to Polar, Tina Fey, and then she's in Mr. Pig, or Senior Pig, depending on where you find it, uh, in 2016 alongside Danny Glover. Another indie drama similar to Away We Go. I watched this for the pod. I kept waiting for more from Maya because it is very much a concerned daughter for her dad who just wants to transport his prize pig across the country. And Danny Glover just kind of steals the show, unfortunately. She, she kind of gets o- overshadowed in that role. She tries the dramatic side again. But I don't think many people have heard of this or seen it. So I, I don't think it was entirely that successful. But that takes us to her role as Deborah in
4: Pop Star: Never Stop, Never Stopping, <laughs> uh, where she drops a hard R. I do not remember her scene. So when I saw that she was in this movie, I do not remember that character. I'm with
3: you.
2: She's selling them a, uh, a fridge, and she tells them she can... Oh, that's right. Uh, she's selling appliances, and she can put their music in all the appliances. And the one of the guy goes, yeah, my N, and she says it, but with that hard R, and everyone just kind of stops They're like, uh,
4: that's her scene. (laughs) That's probably, again, like one of her comments on growing up being mixed and making white people uncomfortable when -hmm. they forget that she is black and and say that. And they're like, what the hell? Oh, right. Okay.
2: Another good comedy that she's in. And then
4: 2016, she's
2: in. Her in her Prince cover band, Princess, play the Moon Tower Comedy Festival. And I know uh, Case has a little bit of a story behind that.
1: I thought this was really cool. Like James had pointed out earlier, she was in a Prince endorsed Prince cover band. Her and her partner were scheduled to perform, you know, a year in advance at the Moon Tower Comedy Festival. And Prince unfortunately passed away just a few days before this festival went on, right? And so she was really uneasy about wanting to do it. She talked to the organizers and they're like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't, you know, we'll, we'll kind of take a, the temperature of the mood and see what people think. And then they came back to her and they're like, hey, you know what? It, it actually sounds like a lot of people would appreciate this. And she wasn't unsure. And so she was talking to one of her friends and they were like, Prince endorsed you. All right. He dug what you're doing. Go out and, and do this show. The Moon Tower Comedy Festival did is they moved their performance to the end to try to, like, in case people didn't want to stay, you know, they wouldn't. And anybody that wanted to stay was going to be a, clearly a fan. They blew the roof off, man. They stole the whole festival. At a comedy festival, a cover band was all people were talking about for a year. That's awesome. Look at the clip of, of her introducing Let's Go Crazy. It's really moving. That's awesome. It's really cool.
2: Later that year, she uh, got her own sketch show. <laughs> With uh, with Marty, Maya and Marty, playing a number of characters in that one.
1: It, you know, it's one of those old old school entertainment shows where they're, they're doing skits, and they're singing, and they're dancing, and they're doing all sorts of stuff. Kind of a throwback. I, I think it was really them wanting to do a project where they could work with a bunch of their friends. There was a lot of SNL crossover yep. there,
0: right? yeah. I would imagine.
2: That's the key. It was yeah. a little bit of a couple different generations of SNL coming together for a sketch show. Bring a lot of those heavyweights together. And then later that year, um, she's in a really uniquely animated film that's on Netflix called My Entire High School Sinking Into the Sea. And if you Google that, you'll notice like extremely unique animation comparatively what you're seeing across the board in her projects and other things today. But this is the extension of the Margot Martindale universe. Uh, she plays a character in this one, so you, you I know. I told you guys there's a, there's a Margot sighting. It's it's this particular project. She's
1: um, truly
3: everywhere, man. She yeah. truly is. <laughs> The MMCU. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
2: Yeah, Lauren. If you haven't picked up, we uh, we love to talk about Margot Martindale on our uh, our show here. It's one of our favorite things to do.
3: And if you don't know who Margot Martindale is, Google it, and you'll be like, oh, her. Okay. And- <laughs>
4: <laughs> then you can become part of the the, the Margot mob, as we refer to ourselves.
2: <laughs> God. But she plays Verdi. It's a newspaper editor. Pretty important to that story. And then over the next couple of years, she's in Angie Tribeca. She's in a couple episodes of Brooklyn Nine-Nine as a U.S. Marshal. She's in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and the movie Chips. And that takes us all the way to my favorite review of the night. And that is Emoji Movie. No offense to everyone else, but Warren's got this. Yep. And we're used to Warren eviscerating movies, but I don't know if we've ever tossed him up a softball like this before. So let's see what happens. And this is our lowest critic score.
3: Yeah, did, did any has anybody seen this?
1: Come on, no one's seen this. I don't even use them, let alone watch a movie about them.
5: I have an eight-year-old niece and nephew, but somehow I have managed to avoid this one. <laughs> <laughs>
3: So this movie like usually when it comes to animated movies it's like there's some deeper message and some meaning or anything like that there isn't anything like that they they thought it was a really good idea I mean how many emojis do you have on your phone 100 maybe oh yeah and they decided to make an entire movie about this universe that exists where there's all these emojis and there's lineages of meh emojis and smiling emojis and poop emojis and all that stuff and it's just like how fucking lazy are you where you're like oh (laughs) movie about emojis like that sounds like a great idea (laughs) I mean even in 2017 when this came out emojis were like on the way out like I I mean I know people still send emojis but then it became like pretty much just gifs and emojis and stuff like that but the whole thing is just like it, it has an interaction with the digital world and then it's a little bit of real world happening concurrently. And there's no lesson for like the real world, you know, the people where it's like, oh, you're using your phone too much or, you know, yeah, you're being you're being a bit creepy with your texting or anything like that. Absolutely not. It, it basically <laughs> says everybody's on their phones. That's fine. Uh, why don't you stay on your phones? If your phone's not working, go get it fixed immediately. Otherwise, you'll be a social pariah. And it's okay to stalk a girl that you're you have a crush with, and send her texts, and you know have a password in your phone that's her name. And you know if you don't feel like you can talk to him in person, you can send them a text all you want. Like that's exactly what happens in this movie. Uh, boy. Oh boy that's rather unsettling. Yeah. That's a a (laughs) dicey topic to cover with children. Exactly. But it just, just to keep going. So the movie, it just doesn't make any sense. It's about an, uh, an emoji who like doesn't want to be uh, a meh emoji. And so he's got this ability to do all these other, you know, smiles and faces and stuff like that. And he's a part of this app that's a made up app, but The app is kind of controlled by my Rudolph's character, the smiley emoji. She's she's just a a smile, like the super smiley uh, face. But she's an absolute she's an absolute bitch. But she's got to maintain a smile the entire
1: time. (laughs) That's kind of (laughs) funny.
3: Yeah, it sounds like this could have been a movie, and it just sucked. This movie, no joke. Like there wasn't one laughable moment there wasn't anything where i was like you know this is cool uh all it did was advertise every app known to man instagram facebook spotify like there was no creativity in it and it was like hey wreck it ralph did a really good job of this like inside technology thing and moving around like let's do that but a phone it's like well that sounds fucking boring and it it really is it really is just an absolute god-awful movie like i this is probably this might be the worst movie that i've had to watch doing this podcast oh yeah 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 i mean there is no redeeming quality to it but listen i found some trivia january 2018 Saudi Arabia lifts a 35-year ban on movie theaters, and this was the first movie shown publicly (laughs) in that country. (laughs) Yikes! Why do you think we're in war in the Middle East? Because they just watched this fucking movie. This was the first feature-length animated movie nominated for Razzies for Worst Picture, Worst Director, and Worst Screenplay. Oh, wow. It was also the first animated movie nominated for Razzies Worst Screenwriting since The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Trailblazer. This one, I think it won... (laughs) It won three out of five Razzies that year. Oh, it almost swept the field.
2: Yeah. Get your shit together, grownups, too.
3: Get yeah, over. no joke. I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend it at all to anybody. And it's it made uh 200 mil. 50 million oh, 50 million budget made over 200 mil. A
2: bunch of parents thought it'd be good for their kids, I guess. Idiocracy
3: is
4: happening. Correct. Yeah, yep.
3: it's a thing. that's right. Oh boy, just a terrible movie. So
4: sorry. Warren. Well, well, let's uh, let's talk about a, a funny cartoon then. Yeah, yeah. So
2: right after that, she starts her stint on Big Mouth as uh, Dinah Birch and Connie the Hormone Mistress.
3: Fucking
4: Connie. The hormone monsters are probably the two funniest ideas that they had for the show. The ge- the general premise of this show is uh, Nick Kroll is essentially describing his life in late middle school early high school where he was like the last guy to hit puberty Mm -hmm. and so it's all about him and all of his friends going through puberty and when a show a guy going through puberty there's a hormone monster that's like an imaginary friend that only he can see Um, and it's voiced by Nick Kroll and then when a girl is going through puberty there's a hormone monstrous voiced by Maya Rudolph that only the girls can see. And Maya Rudolph is absolutely hilarious in this role. Yeah. Not only is it like a clever way to show uh, kids going through puberty, but her character is just absolutely hysterical. I think part of it is because, of course, I don't know what a girl that age going through puberty feels like, but I do know what a guy that age does. And I always feel like the commentary that Nick Kroll has on that is pretty spot on about how awful that experience is. So watching the girls' perspective and how Maya Rudolph uh kind of navigates that is always so funny.
3: Well, take a bubble bath.
4: <laughs> yeah. Maya puts on this like cartoonishly kind of country accent and every word she says is so funny, but uh she always tries to push the girls into taking bubble baths, and the way she says <laughs> it is like, Let's go take a bubble bath, my little bubble ravioli. Bubble.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Apparently, you guys aren't the only ones who thought she was great in this because this won her her first Emmy Emmy uh, for Outstanding Character Voiceover Performance. So she won a primetime Emmy, big deal.
4: The humor is like it, it deserves it. um The humor is so spot on from the Hormone Monsters because they're the characters that kind of break the fourth wall the most.
2: You could tell she had a lot of fun with that role. That's oh, absolutely, for sure. tons and tons of fun.
3: And they're 30-minute they're episodes. Yeah, like, go, go watch them. You could, you could fly through a season in no time.
4: It's on Netflix, right? Yep. Yes. Yep. Well written yeah. and deserves the awards it gets.
2: 2018, she does a show called Forever with Fred Armisen, who she's worked with a few times over the years, especially SNL side. Um, she plays a character named June. Definitely more of a dramatic show that's available. I think it's available on crime right now. But as we talked about, as Lauren mentioned earlier with Away We Go, you see some of the dry, like, dry humor, but most of that show is driven by her dramatic work. And I, th- I think based on the interviews I've seen, this is the type of stuff she would want people to see now that she can showcase her some of her dramatic chops. Uh, but then she goes right back to the uh, the comedic side in The Happy Time Murders, which we've talked about before in the podcast in that we don't necessarily love this movie, but she plays Bubbles, who is Phil's assistant in that one. We won't spend any time on that. We'll go back to her role as a judge on The Good Place, which she's been on for three years Mm -hmm. now, and that's gotten her three primetime Emmy nominations
4: for that role. People love it. It's very cleverly written, and it's got the trifecta of being a successful show where uh, it's well-written, well-acted, and it's... Uh, cut together really nice, so you, there's no lulls. It's it's just good cast. It's funny and clever, and it's an enjoyable watch. My um, Rudolph's uh, kind of like a side character, so if I had to guess for Emmy nominations, it was probably like guest uh, appearance or something like that.
2: And then to round it out before our next review, uh, she's in The Lego Movie 2, the second part. She plays the mom character alongside two other months since we've covered, Chris Pratt and Alison Bree. And then she plays a motivational voice, very brief, in Booksmart in 2019 as well. And that takes us to Wine Country, our largest critic app, and James has it.
4: Have any of you guys watched
3: this movie? I have. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, my, my wife watched it, and she was like, yeah, you don't need to watch it, so I didn't. <laughs> yeah, all right, that's fair. Because um,
4: that's probably going to get to the heart of my review. So the critics gave it a 65, audience gave it a 30, um, which is a pretty big gap for... A comedy usually yeah. comedies go the other way, where the critics are like, "This is dumb," and audiences love it. So I was intrigued to watch this, and I will have to agree with your wife's uh, assessment. So the th- plot here is six longtime friends, uh, six women who are longtime friends, travel to the Napa Valley to celebrate one of the friends' fiftieth birthdays. The cast is amazing. It's pretty much every st- like female star from SNL over the last fifteen years. Uh, So it's Amy Poehler, Rachel Dratch, Anna Gasteyer, Maya Rudolph, of course, Tina Fey, um, and Jason Swartzman's actually thrown in there as like a a comedic side character. Uh, The movie itself was actually inspired by a real life trip that these stars took together to celebrate uh, 50th birthday. And it kind of has that feel to it because all the actors are clearly very close and the characters are not that far off from who the actresses are in real life. Uh, Example being. Maya Rudolph's character has four kids, and in real life she has four kids, and her character explains why that's tough on her and why she needs this vacation and whatnot. Problem is, though, I think they were banking on a lot more improv and a lot more ad-libbing because the characters are so close to the actresses, and that just didn't take place. So a lot of the characters are kind of like half-developed or like a little flat where you just don't care as much as you could tell the story wants them to. Uh, In the end, it's a film that had a ton of of potential and it kind of holds on to that potential throughout the duration, but it never, ever takes advantage of it. It's like everyone got in this room and was like, hey, this will be a good idea. Remember when we went on that trip and it was funny? And what if we did that? And then they expected some sort of like awesome comedic results. And it just never happened. I, I found myself bored throughout the majority of it there's a couple solid one-liners that had me chuckling um but it, it was just a generally like pretty boring movie i i would say 65 is a little high 30 is a little low i would shoot the middle and say uh, we're going 50 it's a great cast and you could tell they have chemistry and the movie just kind of goes nowhere yeah the movie is like telling a friend about a dream oh that's you know what that's pretty fair actually where at the beginning you're like well oh, this will be
3: fascinating and then like a few minutes in you're like and it's not i don't know why i <laughs> thought it would be but <laughs> it's not <laughs> this has nothing to do with me why do i give a shit you know?
4: <laughs> i'm ashamed to, to
0: hear that it's not very good because i mean that cast i find I find Rachel Dratch and obviously Maya Rudolph and Amy Poehler to be hilarious. So,
4: Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think that is – I think it was a victim of its own hype where people yeah, saw mm-hmm. this cast and saw who wrote it and were like, love these actresses, love them when they write comedies. This will be great. And it was just average. And when you're expecting like Bridesmaids 2 essentially – and you just get an average movie. That's why I think audience members were dunking on it and were like, this movie sucks. Yeah. It doesn't suck. It's just not good.
2: They're measuring it against their own expectations of right. others.
5: I absolutely think that you look at a cast like that and you're like, oh my God, I love all of those women. They're incredibly funny and talented. And put them all together. And this movie is going to, it's going to feel like Bridesmaids, too. It's going to feel like that. It's yeah. going to give me that comedic offering that I want and what I'm looking for and so from the audience perspective it did not do that. Uh-uh. I just felt like they tried to get a little too serious at times, like there and there was maybe too many serious plot lines. And maybe this just makes me sound shallow, but if I want if I'm going to watch a what I want to be a funny movie, I don't want to have to think about it too much. I don't want to have to f- have too mm-hmm. many feelings about all of these characters. I want to laugh and I was getting not enough laughs and too much where I had to emotionally invest in the lives of these characters and so that was kind of it was kind of a disappointment
3: yeah I got my own problems like, I, don't yeah. <laughs> your, I don't need your shit
2: I saw it a couple of years ago and it was very forgetful on my end so I didn't rewatch it because I was like I don't think I'm going to learn anything new about Maya from this and maybe not having Tina because F- Tina Fey went on the actual trip with them she couldn't make this because she was making her Broadway debut at the time during filming so, mm-hmm. I, you know, who knows if Tina, if she's there, if it changes the dynamic and the humor at all. Maybe. Maybe that's what they were missing, their little rap yeah. pack. They were missing one of the big ones, right? I
3: mean, if it was her dream, right? <laughs> she's not there to tell them about it.
4: <laughs> the character I thought was the funniest was Paula Pell, who's a former writer for SNL. Mm-hmm. Uh, she plays, like, an elderly lesbian woman, and it wasn't, like... Punchline jokes. It was like little nuances of her character that I thought were funny. All the characters complain that she always talks to strangers, and then when they cut to her, she's like talking to the the Uber driver, and she's like, "I'm going to try that recipe, and I hope you figure out things with your wife." And I'm like, <laughs> "All right, that's pretty funny. Like that's, cl- but I don't know who this woman is, and I'm sitting there waiting for Maya Rudolph, Rachel Dratch, Amy Poehler, who I think are you know some of the funniest women in the game to like deliver the jokes, and it's kind of sad. It's like oh, I got fired from my job. Oh, I don't know if I want to be a mother of four kids. Like, oh, I'm getting older. What does that mean? I'm like, all right, is this like a sad movie? Because then I got to <laughs> kind of reinvest in this because that's not where I was coming from.
2: That aligns well, because in the interview I saw uh, that Maya did when she was promoting this, she said, y'all are going to learn about Paula Pell and how brilliant she is and how funny she is. So like, that was the big thing they were trying to help people be, become aware about. Like, this woman can't just write, she can also act.
4: She, I think her character had the probably was the most fleshed out and uh was the funniest on screen. There we go.
2: That's wine country. We're almost there, almost at the end of her filmography. So, a couple projects for highest critics for she's in the Angry Birds movie, too. Haven't seen, but I would assume that's probably more so in the emoji movie range versus Lego movie, 2. But you know, we'll let you do your own research on that one, and then uh, Hubie Halloween alongside tim meadows tim meadows his wife remember when sandler said if he doesn't win best actor doesn't get nominated for best actor he's going to make a complete pile of shit well uh, there mm-hmm. you go he had already made this so he had it ready to roll and that takes us to the highest critics score and that is the willoughbys in case has it
1: the willoughbys is a 2020 computer generated animated comedy which was made for and released on netflix it's directed by cory evans and rob lordermeyer and is based on the book by the same name from lois lowry Movie stars the voices of Maya Rudolph, Will Forte, Alicia Cara, Terry Crews, Martin or Marty Short, however you want to go with it, mm. Jane Krakowski, Sean Cullen, and it is the uh, the narrator of the story is Ricky Gervais. That's who that was.
4: As the cat. As the cat, I, that voice sounds so familiar.
1: Failed is about the Willoughbys, as the film name would indicate. The parents are unnurturing, and neglectful, and the kind of parents you'd wonder why they even had a child, let alone four. <laughs> they just depressingly mistreat their children. I just, I was, <laughs> honestly, I was really depressed and sad during this movie, and I was surprised to see that in some reviews, people talked about it being a comedy. But wanting to free themselves from their neglectful parents, the kids plot to send their parents off on this dangerous vacation where they'd get stranded and somehow think that would uh, solve all their problems. While they're away, the parents hire a nanny, played by Maya Rudolph, to look after the kids. While they're on on vacation, the parents get stranded and decide that not only are they out of money and can't return home, but they don't want to return home. They don't want to return back to their four children. They decide to try to sell the house. The kids and Maya Rudolph have some antics to try to get the sale of the house blocked. The parents had called and left uh, Maya Rudolph's character a voicemail saying, Hey, guess what? We're not coming home. You're on your own. We're selling the house. The oldest son, Tim, overhears that the parents had left Maya Rudolph's character this voicemail. He thinks that she's in cahoots with them, so he calls, you know, the the Department of Orphan Services to report Maya Rudolph's character as a bad nanny. Well, the orphan services come up or come to the house, take the kids away, and then from there, the rest of the movie is basically. Maya Rudolph's character trying to pull all the siblings back together into a family. The rating was 91 critic, 64 audience. I'm nowhere near any of that. And I'm really nervous that this movie went way over my head. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't get into it. Like I said, I thought the I thought it to be a depressing story. The animation of it was was kind of dark. It just seemed weird to me that this is a cartoon that a lot of people would would be drawn to. Again, I'm probably the worst person for this because I'm not a cartoon guy, but I had a hard time getting into this movie. She was good, and, and she did. I mean, she delivered exactly what you thought she would. You know, she's charismatic, and, and she has really good emotional range in terms of this character.
4: I love watching cartoons, and at first I was very intrigued by the animation style. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it felt like kind of like a testament to like those old British cartoons. Like, what was it? Was it like Gromit or something? Wallace and Gromit. There you go, yeah. It, it the looks, claymation. Exactly. It looks like that a little bit. Interesting, yeah. But when the movie started and the jokes were kind of going at first, I was like, oh, this is like a little kid's movie based on the humor I'm looking at. And I'm like, all right, so I'm not really a target audience for it. So I kind of checked out a little bit. And then it gets real dark. And I'm like... Real dark. All right, so this is not a little... It started off a little no. kid's movie, but this is talking about like... Parents abandoning you and being unloved and being an orphan and what family means. I was like, I don't. You sharing this message with a little kid either. They're not going to get it at all, or they're going to cry because it's it's neglectful parents. I think on first watch, I did not enjoy it. It might be one of those movies that on second watch, I enjoy it more because I know what to expect and I'm not going to be caught off guard by like the depressing topics it's covered. Yeah,
1: that's a good point.
2: I think I liked it because it's darker than your normal animated feature. I liked the Willoughbys. I liked the, the style to it. The characters are were unique enough for me to, to say it was a good experience, but I like darker plot lines. So. For me, because it was a Netflix film, I gave it a little bit more leeway than if it was something that was released in theaters and marketed to kids.
4: That's fair. Yeah, that's, that's fair there,
2: there were a lot of critic types talking about it and enjoying it. Similar to like Wolfwalkers this year. I think critics love that movie. Um, and I'd, I don't know if people's kids are watching Wolfwalkers and, and finding that to be an awesome animated film. But critics love it. And I think Willoughby's kind of falls under the same boat.
5: Yeah, I think the timing of the release of this movie was so interesting. Like that it, it came out in 2020 in a time where... I don't necessarily think the world needed any more darkness and (laughs) doom and gloom. Fair point.
3: That's a good point.
5: Maybe I'm not as dark as Kyle is.
4: No one. (laughs) uh, Us curmudgeons on here, we see a movie that's happy-go-lucky, and we're like, that's not realistic. No one's happy.
2: This is is a movie just about shitty kids. Just embrace it and let's go.
4: People are laughing. That would never
2: happen. (laughs) Maybe the parents are over the top, but look at that candy factory. It looks pretty cool, right? (laughs) Huge role for Maya in the story itself, where I think she plays more of a supporting, and a lot of other animated projects she does. So she's right at the forefront.
4: Her character's the the heartwarming character. Her hers is the one that makes it go, and absolutely the lead. And I think she's really kind of found a niche when it comes to voice work. I
2: agree. All right, so that wraps up film and TV work, as we mentioned on the front end. Super. Diverse performer, and she's got a ton of shorts and then SNL. So from the short standpoint, there's a lot of them. So we're not going to cover all of them, but we're going to hit some of the highlights. So first and foremost, I'm slightly upset, James, when you're talking about her musical background – You didn't talk about the fact that she did two songs on Triumph the Insult Comic Dog's album in 2003. (laughs) Very important.
4: You know, so many actors have done that. Like, it's not very unique. (laughs) You know, how would I? I'm trying to find unique facts about her. So
2: 2003, she does that. (laughs) She's in a a musical uh, called Prop 8 from 2008 that's got Allison Janney, Craig Robinson, and many others. That's really funny. That's a three-minute video. uh, I think Funny or Die. Uh, she does the beastie boys fight for your right revisited video and documentary with like seth rogan and all of those guys and that's an awesome homage to beastie boys and their impact they've had on the industry Drunk history. We've a number of performers have done that. A couple musical uh, appearances in like holiday specials and a very Murray Christmas and Michael Bolton's big sexy Valentine's Day special. <laughs> and she, you know, she sings in those and shows off her yeah. her range from that standpoint. That's Valentine's Day special. You know, Valentine's Day is coming. If you have some free time, check it out just for Michael Sheen's character as a begrudging dance instructor with a cigarette and overweight oh, it's
1: hilarious
2: so funny she is in a crossover with natasha leone and leone's directorial debut in kabiria charity chastity is a short film also in what is probably my new favorite thing and that is tour to pharmacy she plays a small <laughs> role in that with james marsden whose character is awesome as the interviewer in that particular story
1: first time i saw this i tuned in Probably close to about halfway through. And me and my girlfriend at the time were watching it. And we're like, oh, that's the guy from Saturday Night Live. And that's the guy from this really funny. And that's the guy from this really funny. So we're like, the next time that's on, we got to check it out. I will tell you that I was shocked with the amount of male frontal nudity. <laughs> that we were exposed to. Because we didn't expect it after what we had seen at the end of that movie.
2: <laughs> What's his face from Blue Mountain State with his little see-through pants? Yes. Um, the mascot.
3: Chris Romano.
2: Yeah, really fun. You can check that out on HBO Max. She did a couple commercials for Ruby Tuesday the 7th Generation, and she was in the Unauthorized Bash Brothers experience with the Lonely Island crew.
1: I heard a friend of mine describe this movie. He's like, hey, have you seen Sandberg's new special? And I go, how was it? And he goes, I felt like I was having a fever dream. <laughs> and it's the most accurate description of a movie I've ever heard in my life.
2: What would happen if Maguire and <laughs> Seiko did music? while they were uh, at, <laughs> yeah and maya's just in like one dance portion of it right outside a restaurant and yeah. leading a group of dancers so it's pretty minor from that standpoint but but let's transition to snl we'll kind of round it out here james you go first talk about an snl character or sketch that you think of when you think of maya rudolph
4: recency bias obviously wants to say kamala harris but that is not what i think of when i think of Maya rudolph i think of her donatella versace impersonation Mm -hmm. it is so cartoonish and yet not cartoonish enough when compared to the actual donatella versace it's actually (laughs) so good that she got to meet donatella versace because she was so impressed with it and she gave her pointers on how to be more (laughs) accurate as her one of the examples she used is you yell too much if you're a diva, you're not supposed to yell. You're supposed to get your assistants to yell at people for you so you never have to raise your voice. (laughs) And she also said that the security guards that she has around her are not attractive enough to be like the real security guards that Donatella Versace has. So if she could choose better men to surround herself with, that would be more accurate. (laughs) I just think she nails it. She is such a chameleon when it comes to impersonations.
0: I remember she had the aforementioned Prince and the Prince cover band. She played Beyonce in a sketch with with Fred Fred Armisen, Prince. And that was great. Prince was kind of like supposed to be the eccentric one, but in the sketch, he was kind of the calm one. And she, from what I remember, she was the backup singer in the sketch. And so uh, she kind of went all out on it. And so that was a pretty memorable one for me. Yeah.
2: Yeah. She's done Beyonce a number of times. That's a big one for her.
5: I mean, I think she's fantastic as Kamala Harris. When I actually started watching clips in preparation for the podcast and just kind of going back through things again, I realized a clip that I, have loved and something that has become part of my vernacular with some friends that I had totally forgotten was even an SNL joke was from Bronx Beat.
1: Mm, So good. Oh God. Yeah.
5: It's the sweater weather. It's when they're like, it's sweater weather, sweater weather, sweater weather.
4: (laughs) I agree. I didn't know it was from that either.
5: Right. And it was just, it was something that, you know, it's an older, I mean, it's 2013 ish, something somewhere around there. And so it was just something I had completely forgotten was even an SNL thing. And I was like, Oh, I think anytime you have something like that that just becomes part of your language like that. I I think that is worth remembering. And I was like, oh, that's actually legit funny because we still laugh about it, even though we've said it a thousand times. And (laughs) I feel like we should give credit to the person who made it funny.
1: Lauren, do you know the backstory on that skit? I don't. Do you? The skit is actually based on the longtime hairdresser at SNL And she didn't even know that Amy Poehler, one of the writers, and Maya Rudolph had written that skit until they needed her to come to the rehearsal set (laughs) to read the cue cards so that Amy Poehler could get the right accent.
5: (laughs) Oh, that's funny.
1: Has anybody seen the Mom Jeans skit?
4: Of course, dude. That that's one of those ones that went viral when like viral wasn't really a thing yet. Was the mom jeans? I think that's another uh, like what Lauren mentioned. Yeah, something that kind of got into my vernacular and I didn't realize what it was from. And it's from that thirty second commercial that she does on SNL where it's the jeans that are very high up and aren't very <laughs> flattering and like the commercial's like it makes your crotch a foot long and it's her dancing.
1: Yeah. Night zipper. <laughs>
4: yeah, it's so
1: funny. And then the only other one of note for me is that she said that she was the first female on Saturday Night Live to ever play Oprah. Mm-hmm. In a long list of people that she impersonated, Oprah thanked her for not only being a woman but also not wearing a fat suit and parroting her weight. <laughs> Again, another person is endorsing Maya Rudolph's Mm -hmm. work about them. But it dawned on me that I think Maya Rudolph and Amy Poehler are criminally underrated as a duo in Saturday Night Live history. You look at their work, they were killers on that show.
4: That's kind of like what Lauren mentioned. She was offended by one guy's review. It's like, you know, this unknown star from SNL, it's like, uh oh. I think she was probably the star of her kind of generation with Amy Poehler. You just stopped watching after Dan Aykroyd. That's yeah, an unfair comparison.
2: Well, I'll round us out. Uh, you named a lot of the ones I was going to. Bronx Beat's my number one, but she makes a brief appearance in Dick in a Box. We can't talk about Maya Rudolph's um, career without mentioning Dick in a Box, which is you know, tops <laughs> in the game in terms of <laughs> SNL shorts. To add to it, her Kamala Harris uh, impression got her a primetime Emmy in 2019 as well.
4: Yep. Oh, dude, she might as well just mm-hmm. say that her price has gone up because now that Kamala's sworn in, they're going to have mm-hmm. her on like every other week.
2: And they'll keep changing who's going to play Biden because we had what Woody, Jim Carrey, and who knows who's next after Jim Carrey. Lots of Emmy nominations for the TV side in comedy, that's for sure. All right, Rigby, what do we got in terms of top performances?
0: We're going back to "Thought for Your Penny" this week. Bingo. Oh, I think this is pennies. our third or fourth list from this site so this is the almost a nickel <laughs> <laughs> this is the top 10 my rudolph movie and tv roles and i'll give you a hint saturday night live is on here but that's listed as like a whole show so there's not a certain character so
2: when did it come out july of this year oh, so. okay so it's recent. Well, bridesmaids number one
0: bridesmaids is on here but it's not number one that is number four. Oh, interesting oh away we go yeah. Yep, yeah, that's on here. Idiocracy? Idiocracy is number one on this list. Oh. Was it written by President Camacho, this list? Mm-hmm. It was written by Upgrade, actually.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> How about uh, Maggie's Plan?
3: Nope. My entire high school is sinking? Nope. Friends with Kids? Nope. The Way, Way Back. Way, Way Back is
0: on
4: here. Not Wine Country, right? Mm-hmm. Nope. Not- wine Country is <laughs> not. Good
3: place. <laughs> Clearly, Emoji. Nope. The Good Place? Good places on here, yep. Michael Bolton's big, sexy Valentine's Day special. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> There's a role in here, Kyle, that you mentioned
0: that you wish that she was in more of. MacGruber. That's on here. <laughs> ah, <boy>. <laughs> Mac- <laughs> is number 10, so. She's funny, man. Give me Lego Movie 2. Nope. I think this is the movie that you said that a certain character in the movie sort of takes over. I don't know. What was I? Oh, Mr. Pig. Pig. Mr. Pig. Mr. Pig. Oh, Mr. Pig.
2: Pig. Yes. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yep. Yeah. We're missing number three and number five. We oh, got everything no. else though. Two high
2: ones is forever on there.
0: No, nope, it's not. I don't think I. I don't think you said these two. Zookeeper.
2: Yeah, I didn't nope. mention zookeeper. Nope. Just tell us what they are.
0: Number
3: five is grown ups.
2: Oh. <laughs> yeah. And oh, number three is hero big
3: thing. hero six. I don't want uh, big
2: hero six. Oh. Makes sense. Okay.
3: I can't believe it was Grown Ups because her role expands a lot more in Grown Ups too. Grown Ups universe, yeah. Zookeeper too. Mm. Zookeeper. <laughs> Guys,
2: I was strategically uh, trying to avoid talking about Zookeeper, and y'all fucked it up <laughs> by trying to be funny.
0: This is a good list, but I think Saturday Night Live should obviously be number one just because that that's her longest running, and it's what she's most known for. Yeah, the fact that Idiocracy ranks above it is kind of dubious in my eyes, but
3: it's not my list. We are a film podcast. Yep, this true. This is true. This is true. Huh. This is true once. <laughs> it's just early. It, it just just depends on when you want to pull that out. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, let's talk about rating her career on the Munson Meter. If you're first time listener, the way this works, we rate uh, every actor on a scale of zero to hundred. Those factors could be anything from longevity as an actor, project choice, pop culture impact, their range, their awards footprint, any talents that they might have off the screen their personal life, comedic chops, box office, and anything else that matters to us. So with that, we'll start with James.
4: Maya runs into an issue that a lot of comedic actors run into for me, which is Mm -hmm. this scale is just simply unfair to them. You're comparing apples and oranges because it is someone who has spent almost the entirety of their career being a comedic actor, and they're going up against someone who does... Comedy, drama, horror, the whole deal. And so naturally, my scores for comedic actors have been lower. That will bring her down in that you haven't seen a lot of range outside of comedy for her. But inside of comedy, you've seen a ton of range for her. When you're reading through her impressions, Michelle Obama, Donatella Versace, Kamala Harris, Beyonce, Oprah, like these people aren't very similar in the slightest. And she pulls all of them off. What I think brings her back up for me is her cultural impact in that if you are if someone says oh what's your favorite maya rudolph movie everyone's going to say bridesmaids because bridesmaids is hysterical and that's what you immediately think but if you were to ask other movies it takes you a second to kind of think what are those other maya rudolph movies yet she's still culturally relevant and if someone asks you Mm -hmm. if you like her you're like oh yeah i think she's hilarious And it has a lot to do with the impact that she had on SNL. And so only judging her off her movies would feel like not a fair way to summarize her career. She finally got some Emmy love. I think Big Mouth is hilarious. Booksmart was great. I know she was only part of that. But she is putting herself in comedies that are a whole range of comedies. Some of them are absolutely awful. And some of them are classics. All that being said, I unfortunately can't go too high because there just isn't that range. I love that she's so musically talented, and she rarely shows it when she's doing comedy. It's it's either one or the other, and if it is, yeah. if she is doing comedy, while you know there's a singing aspect of it, it's a joke. Like she doesn't actually try to do it; she tries to mock it. But to be yeah. so talented that you can open for some of the bands she's opened for and get some of the praise she's done is truly impressive. Uh, it's just unfortunate that she's kind of only known for the one thing, and we haven't really seen her outside of that. So I'm going to give her a 63. Rigby. Yeah, James, you hit it on the head. She's obviously very talented,
0: and in terms of her range for her comedy, she gets her highest score for me on that because she can sing, she can dance, she can do all these skits. When she was back on SNL, and even when she makes her cameo appearances these days, it's almost like, we need you to play this, and she crushes it, she knocks it out of the park every time. Yeah. But like you said, James, she just I think the way her career has gone up, I don't think she's ever going to get the leading role in a drama. I feel like I say this every week, I don't know if that's what she wants at this point in her life and her career. If that was offered to her, I would like to see what she could do with it, but I, did, I don't know if it's possible at this point. You know, she seems like a pretty good person outside of acting. Um, obviously, she's married to Paul Thomas Anderson, who's hes a notable guy, but he's also a pretty private guy, so I kind of like how they, they keep their relationship pretty private. I think that's there's something to be said about that in Hollywood today, but I'm kind of going off track, so I'm going to give her 68. All right.
2: On my end, super talented singer, pretty good voice actor, picks for the most part, good voice acting roles. A lot of her scores are pretty average for me when you look at comparing her to other actors that we've
4: covered. Mm-hmm.
2: the Probably the most interesting story I saw about her and her husband is that they have Turner Classic Movies playing nonstop, 24-7 in their kitchen because they want their four kids to like absorb old-timey television and stuff like that. That has to make for a really weird and interesting... Uh,
0: oh, I didn't know uh, that. I would have given her a higher <laughs>
2: score. <degree>. That's fantastic. <laughs> you know being around ptm it was probably his uh incepted idea at one point in time but you know she's a good performer nothing like glaring from like humanitarian work that she's done That's gonna jump off the page there but a lot of points for comedy and the intangibles that come with having a lot of flexibility and doing skits and shorts and things like that so she's gonna get one of my lower scores and that's a 60 all right lauren what do you got for us
5: I agree with a lot of what has already been said um, so I won't repeat it. I do think she's versatile I think as much as you, you know, everyone knows her as a comedic actress and so and she's done a lot of comedy work which comedies are not really a lot of Oscar contenders so you don't see a lot of awards in her background so far, but I think she she does do drama and she does do depth and she does have that she does have the capability to do more versatile work. And I, I think with the music and the dance talent, that talent is there. And so I think this is going to sound real cliche, but I think as much as we've seen her do some really great work, I don't think we've seen her best work yet. And so when you have to base a score on her career right now so far, not what she is may yet do, I think she's got a huge cultural impact. I know, mean, back to sweater weather, sweater weather. You can't deny things like that that have just ingrained in our lives. Um, And so I think just pulling all of that together, I am going to go 67.
3: All right, Warren. So with Maya, she is in some very... Uh, reputable movies bridesmaids obviously uh, saturday night live huge unfortunately for me it just wasn't a part of saturday night live that i paid that much attention to and i know that makes me a loser and that <laughs> i'm just not in on a lot of the the jokes and things that were going on it's not to say that she's not funny she's just not readily available in things that i am pursuing while i'm still watching a bunch of stuff that she ends up being in I wouldn't say that I seek out movies or roles that she is in. And, you know, I, I would love to hear more about, you know, her singing and stuff like that. I haven't seen it come through in, like, a movie, which would be a great way to, like, showcase that. But, obviously, she just doesn't really care. Like, her movies are about acting, and that's that's what that is. But just kind of, like, I'm looking at the scores that I have for other actors that we've done. And I'm kind of basing mine based on where I think she falls in there. And so, I'm, I'm going to end up giving her a fifty-six. We we'll go with the fifty-six. Just I, I don't know if I could rightfully put her above or below some specific people. She does it because she loves it. Uh, she doesn't have to do it with uh, PTA being the the husband exactly. and everything. But she she wants to do it. She wants to be her own person, and I'm all for it. I just wish that she did some other things that were outside the Happy Madison universe. And
2: so, <laughs> I'm with you, Warren. When I looked at my scores. I originally had her closer to Pratt, and I was like, I can't score her higher than Chris Pratt. I got to give her a few points lower, so I think it yeah. makes sense. All right, Case, round us out.
1: I think she might be the most pure entertainer of anybody that we've looked at. You know, Her background and her life story are just so wild and fascinating. And the more you learn about her, the more her characters and performances make sense, and the more I found myself really rooting for her. To me, you know, she has a a different type of versatility than a lot of other people we've looked at. Other actors or other performers have had a lot of role diversity in terms of like the different projects they take. She has the ability to have a lot of versatility and a lot of range within the characters that she plays. And I think that's really interesting. And some of you have talked about how incredible her impersonations are and and other things like that. She's not just a pure actor, though. And unfortunately, the way we evaluate people in this podcast and the way I've evaluated others in the background, she's just not going to measure up based on the types of projects and the roles that she's been cast in. Throwing all that data and all the stuff you guys talked about in a blender with a little extra sugar and some honey, then I'm going to give her a 65. (laughs) All right. Warren, what do we got? Puts my Rudolph at a
3: 63.17, which is 22nd which has her in between Regina Hall and James Marsden.
2: Oh, so it's right near that 24th for IMDb user and in,
3: in critic score too. Seems pretty Craig, fair. Yeah, fair. Craig Robinson right true. there, Gary Cole's just in front. The only thing that really separates them from her is just more actual like acting roles. I mean, I Man. looked in her 30, 34 film credits. 15 of them are voice work.
1: If you average her rank in star meter, critic ranking, fan ranking, and a box office measurement, I use she's ranked 23rd out of all, of all of our actors. Man, we're awesome yep. at what we do.
2: <laughs> My God, I'm so proud of us. All right, well, Warren, what does she got coming?
3: She's got a movie coming. It was announced uh, a while ago. I'm not sure if it's going to be released this year or not, but it's called Connected. Another animated movie, Uh, I believe she's playing the mom, where basically technology takes over and is destroying stuff. But there's some entertaining stuff in the uh, trailer, so it's worth a watch. Looking forward
2: to checking it out. All right, so we got five actors we're throwing onto that wheel for the next episode, episode 29. Those five actors are Brendan Gleeson, Eugene Levy, Angelica Houston, Zoe Deutsch, and Tika Sumpter- What do we like, what do we don't like
3: of those five? I like Gleason and Houston. Yeah, me too. Uh, I want Eugene Levy, come on. Gleason would be really fun.
2: I would normally say Zoe Deutsch, but give her more time. She's pretty young in her career
4: at this point. Yeah, I would agree with with that. Tika Sumter, she's young in her career. I can only think of, like, Medea movies. With Zoe
5: Deutsch, you're going to have to watch a ton of, like, Disney movies. Isn't she... Wasn't oh, she on a ton of tween feel, things?
2: That feels Maybe. correct. Am I thinking in Buffalo, of the right person? Which is a really fun movie. <laughs> Are you thinking of Zoe Deschanel? No. Hold on. No.
4: Nope. Yeah, she was on the Sweet Life. Oh, Zach and Cody. I'm gonna be honest. Yeah, I don't it know would, that much would, about yes. what I'm reading here. Yes, the
3: sweet, the sweet life of Zack and Cody is the name of the, the full name of the show. <laughs>
2: yeah, James, get your act together. I think I'm on board with Gleason and Houston. Those would be the two I'm looking forward to most. Gleason's I mean, in some really good stuff. Eugene Levy's funny though. I've always been a Eugene Levy fan. So I'd,
3: I'd I mean, Shit's Creek was hysterical. Sure, and his eyebrows—they're big. Like I get it. Oh. So, let's just move on. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> He plays Jim's dad. Damn, You didn't like Best in Show? No, I did. But when it comes to those three people, Eugene Levy would be dead last of ones that I would rather talk about.
4: All I know (laughs) about Angelica Houston is the Adams Family. Maybe that's probably be good for me to catch up on some stuff about her. The Witches.
0: (laughs) She's in some great movies. I know this is not
4: a
3: pro Woody Allen podcast, but she's in one of my favorite movies by Woody Allen.
2: (laughs) You talked about Choke, right? She's in that movie with Rockwell.
3: Yeah, she's Rockwell's mom. She's in a yeah. good amount of Wes Anderson films, and mm-hmm. oh, that's right. I'm oh, gonna do oh. Brendan Gleeson says somebody gets to watch uh, in Bruges. Oh, that's great.
2: Calvary is a good movie <laughs> too. Like he's got some good stuff, man. But we don't control it. We know who does, and that's uh, the wheel decides.
3: No, Martindale decides. <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs>
2: Lauren, it was fantastic. We appreciate you being here. Thanks for going on this ride with us. Any outgoing plugs or anything you want to tell the, the audience about? Any movies you're going to be in or any oh, wise man. words?
5: Oh, man. Well, I sure hope I will be in some more movies soon. We'll see how this year plays out with filming. It looks like things are yeah. starting to pick back up again and production companies are finding a way to, to make it work even now. So we'll see.
3: What are you currently reading?
5: What am I reading? I'm reading a book called The Midnight Library.
3: I'm very I think meta. the
5: author's name is Matt Haig. It's this afterlife where you go and there's all these books and you can choose an alternate ending to your life.
3: Hmm. Ooh, that sounds cool. enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a Black Mirror episode. Yep, yeah, yeah.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: I was going to say Dark Mirror and I was like, that doesn't sound quite right. <laughs> <laughs>
5: mm-hmm. <laughs> so I also like to do a lot of audiobooks, and I like to listen to audiobooks of actors. So maybe that's a good tip Ooh. for you all as well. I'm listening to an audiobook by Julie Andrews right now, and she has some fascinating stories from her film career.
2: Make a note
3: if we ever cover Julie Andrews, we'll be, yeah. we'll be I've come got, knocking. I've got another question or two. <laughs> what are your uh, genuine thoughts on uh, Permantis? It's okay. Okay, awesome. Right. I'm glad I'm glad yeah. that you're honest about that. An acceptable answer. Have you had the pancakes from Pamela's?
5: Those are amazing.
3: Those are amazing. Okay. <laughs> Lauren, you can come back whenever you like.
1: <laughs> That's the endorsement. Uh, there you
2: go. You pass the Warren food test and that's that's all you needed to get in get back in the door. If you ever actually run into Tom Hanks on a set you have to tell him to join our podcast. <laughs> yeah. We'll be forever grateful but we appreciate you Lauren. Um you. Thank you, thank
5: you Lauren.
0: Hope you had yep. a good time.
5: I did. Thank you.
2: Next podcast is going to land on February 11th. As always, you can find us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can find us on Instagram at Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from the Munson's?
1: I don't use deodorant and I only take bubble brows.
2: All right, Munson's out.
0: (sighs) All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a Ph.D. in stupidity. Doctor, shall we?